Good morning, everyone. Do keep that passage open in front of you as we look at it together. And uh, let's pray as we come to look at it. Father God, we've come before you to, to hear from your word. We pray, Father, you will speak to us. Give us understanding, but more than that, Lord, help us to uh, listen, to obey, to uh, grow in our love for you as we um, look at this together. In Jesus' name, amen. In-laws can be troublesome, can't they? Do you ever have in-law problems? I've been having in-law problems this week. Um, not, I hasn't had with my own in-laws, um, but rather with Moses's in-law, his father-in-law. He pops up here, out of the blue, in the middle of the book of Exodus, and he just seems to bring a whole load of problems with him. For a start, one of the more minor things, his name here is different from the beginning of Exodus, where he first appears. So in Exodus chapter 2, we're introduced to Rule, whose daughter marries Moses, and here he's called Jethro. It's just to be awkward, have two different names. I mean, it's not, that, it's not really that big a deal. You've probably had the experience of, of getting to know someone, you get to know them by a particular name, and then you meet their family. And their family call them by something completely different because they're being called either by a first name or a middle name or a nickname or something like that. Pe- people sometimes just have two different names. And we see that a lot in the Bible. Saul and Paul, uh, Peter, Simon. We, we, we see lots of characters have two different names. And Jethro is apparently one of those. But then we get the fact that 13 times in this passage, we're told that he is Moses' father-in-law. Now, I can understand why you might want to say that once or twice, but, but why say it 13 times? I, I haven't actually come to a conclusion on that. I don't know why it's emphasized so much. But I guess what it's doing here is it's placing the emphasis very much on Jethro and his relationship with Moses, um, rather than on Moses' wife and sons. And that's another mystery that Jethro brings with him. We're told in verse 2... Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. Which raises two questions. When did Moses send her home? And why did he send her home? And of course the book of Exodus doesn't give us the answers to either of those two questions. We could speculate it's probably something like Moses sent her home at some point before or during the time when he was in Egypt dealing with Pharaoh for for their own safety. That that would seem like a, a logical um, su- suggestion, but, but it's all speculation because we're not actually told. What this is giving us is the second half of a story when we haven't been told the first half. I, and I guess actually we have to remember when we're looking at the Bible that it's here to teach us about God. So we're often used to, to reading things or hearing things which are there to entertain us or there to satisfy our curiosity. And we're particularly interested in family relationships, aren't we? And particularly keen to know what is going on with Moses and Zipporah and his sons. But actually, the book of Exodus isn't written to tell us about that. It's written to tell us about what God is doing for his people. And so I assume the reason that we're told the second half of the story and not the first half is because the second half of the story isn't actually there to satisfy our curiosity, but for some other reason, which we'll come back to. But then we get just the the, the main problem, which (laughs) why is this here at all? It doesn't particularly seem to move the narrative forward. We could have gone from chapter 17 to chapter 19. Why do we need to know about this visit to, uh, of, Jethro, of Moses to Jethro to Moses? Well, I think what's going on here, I think it's a bit like when you, you, you're trying to climb a hill or a mountain. You ever had that experience? You're trying to climb a hill and you look at the top and then you climb and you climb and you climb and then you look at the top and it's still a long, long way away. And, and it feels like you're not getting any closer. 
What do you need to do in that situation? Well, what you need to do is to turn around and look back and see how far you've come. You turn around, you get this wonderful view, and you realize that actually all that climbing, you have actually come a long way. And that can then encourage you to look forward and to see and consider what you need for the rest of the journey. And that's good advice when we're having a difficult time, actually. It's good advice to look back and to see how far we've come, to see what God has done for you in your life and gain strength to look forward for the future. And I think that's what this chapter is doing. It's falling into two halves. And the first half is encouraging us to look back and the second half is looking forward. The book of Exodus basically falls into two halves. There's the narrative, the story bit, that tells us about God saving his people from Egypt and bringing them to Mount Sinai. And then the second half is God giving his people the law. And this chapter comes right in the middle and seems to be a kind of a hinge or a bridge from one half to the other. It's encouraging us to look back and then to look forward. So that's what our two points this morning will be. Look back and rejoice in all that God has done and look forward and trust God's word for the way ahead. So firstly, look back and rejoice in all that God has done. Verses 1 to 12. How does this first half of the chapter show us or encourage us to be looking back? Well, firstly, why does Jethro come? Verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. So straight away, verse 1, we're being encouraged to look back. And then we get this reference to uh, Zipporah and to Moses' sons. Now, when was the last time that we had Moses' father-in-law, Zipporah and Gershom all together in the same place? Well, it was right back in chapter 2. Do you ever have that experience where you you meet an old friend who you haven't seen for 10 years? What do you do when you meet that friend? Well, you automatically look back. What's happened on the last 10 years? And what this is doing in this chapter, we're being introduced to Zipporah, an old friend, and we're immediately thinking, well, when was the last time we saw her? We saw her briefly in chapter 4, but Zipporah and Gershom and and Rule, the last time we saw all of them was back in chapter 2. This is what it says. Moses was content to dwell with the man, uh, rule or Jethro, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. And then immediately after this, this is what it says. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Doesn't that immediately make you realize, goodness, how far have we come? I think this is a narrative device that's often used in the Bible where you have two similar things that kind of bracket a section. And that's what Zipporah and uh, Jethro and uh, Gershom, that's what they're doing here. They're they're acting as this bracket. They're showing us, look, look how far we've come. Look at all that's happened in between these two meetings with these characters. But there is a difference. Because uh, in chapter 2, we're told that Moses had a son called Gershom, and that he, uh, his, he was called that because Moses said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. In chapter 18, verse 3, we're told, the name of one of his sons was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Now, who cares what Gershom's name means? 
Why, why should we be bothered about that? And yet we're told it twice. We're told it in chapter 2. We're told it again in chapter 18. And it's a bit of a miserable name. Because it means I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. It's Moses mourning the fact that he has been exiled from his people. His people are in Egypt. He's with the Midianites, with foreigners. And, and even his people in Egypt, they are slaves in Egypt. It's a sad name. I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. But in chapter 18, we're told something we're not told in chapter 2. In chapter 18, we're told that Moses had a second son. And his name means Elisa, which literally means my God is help. And Moses called him that because he said, verse 4, the God of my father was my help and he delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So these two sons of Moses are telling two sides of the story. They're reminding us of everything that God has done, encouraging us to look back. And then when Moses and Jethro get together and they get past the customary pleasantries, what is it they talk about? Verse 8. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Moses and Jethro discuss all that God has done in setting his people free from slavery to Egypt, all that he's done in helping them through the wilderness. And then we see how Jethro responds. Four ways he responds. Verse 9, Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in all that he delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro rejoiced when he heard all that God had done. And he praises verse 10. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. He praises God. And then most significantly, he confesses. Remember who this is. Verse 1 tells us this is Jethro, the priest of Midian. Now Midian didn't worship Yahweh. They didn't worship God. They worshipped pagan gods. And Jethro was a priest. He was someone helping the people to worship pagan gods. In fact, he's called the priest of Midian, which possibly suggests he was one of the chief priests or the chief priest. Look at what he says in verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. Jethro has come to believe and to become a worshipper in Yahweh, a worshipper of the Lord. He's, He's converted. He confesses that God is God. And so, verse 12, he sacrifices. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Moses has said to Pharaoh that the reason he wanted the people to be freed was so they could make sacrifices to the Lord. It's interesting that the first reference to the people actually making a sacrifice to the Lord is here. And it's Jethro, the foreigner, the Midianite, offering sacrifices to God because he had realized that God the Lord is greater than all gods and it's a reminder to us that although the emphasis has been on God rescuing his people the Israelites it's not just his people who are saved Jethro Midianite is saved there were Egyptians saved as well this is a message that is due ultimately to come to all peoples so the Israelites are being encouraged here to look back and see all that has happened in the book of Exodus, all that God has done. 
to pause, to slow down, to consider how far we've come. How the people were, were groaning in slavery under Pharaoh. And God heard their groaning. And he sent Moses to them. He sent Moses to them to, to go and to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And then when Pharaoh said no, God sent plagues upon the Egyptians until eventually the, people, the, the Egyptians forced the people to leave. And when Pharaoh changed his mind and chased after them to enslave them, to kill them by the Red Sea, God opened the waters of the Red Sea so that they could pass through. And when Pharaoh decided to to chase after them through the waters of the Red Sea, God brought the Red Sea back down on them. And so he eliminated, he brought to nothing. Uh, he, He defeated and finished once and for all that threat from the Egyptians against his people. And then as the people wandered through the desert, they found they had no water, so God miraculously provided water. They found they had no food, so God miraculously provided food. They found themselves under attack, unprovoked attack from the Amalekites. And God gave them the victory. It's good to look back and see all that God has done. I wonder, do you ever do that? Do you ever stop and look back on what God has done for you. Stop and consider the situation you were in before you knew Jesus. That would be different for every one of us, but there are some things that are the same. Ephesians chapter 2. I can find that. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us what our situation was, all of us, before we knew Jesus. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of the disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That was our situation before we knew Jesus. But God brought us to hear the gospel. He sent his son to die for us and brought us to hear and to respond to that good news. How did God do that for you? Who did he put in your life? How did he organize the circumstances so that you could hear that good news and come to believe and to trust in him? Hasn't he he been good to you? So that now, 1 Peter tells us what our situation is now. 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he says in chapter 2, what is true of all of us together, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And consider... How God has brought you since then. We're going to sing after the, uh, after the sermon. Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far. And when we look back and we see the grace that has brought us safe thus far, that the toils, the dangers and snares through which we've already come, what, what does that give us confidence for? Give us confidence that grace will lead me home. Look back. Look back and see and rejoice in all that God has done for us. Rejoice in it. Praise God for it. Commit to him. Recognize he is greater than all gods. He is the only God. And continue to serve and trust in him.
Look back and rejoice in all that God has done. Secondly, look forward and trust God's word for the way ahead. How do we keep going? We look back on what God has done and we trust God's word, God's guidance for the way ahead. Jethro switches in verse 13 from new convert to management consultant. There's a a problem. Moses is judging the people. He's judging the people on his own. And there's too many of them for him to do it. And so it's, it's wearing him out, verse 18. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Moses is taking on this huge burden of dealing with all of the people's cases. And, and it's wearing him out, but it's wearing the people out because they're not getting seen as quickly as, uh, as, as they need to be. And so Jethro comes up with a solution. Put structures in place and delegate. Put structures in place and delegate. And he mentions these structures, verse 21. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Now, those numbers there are not really meant literally. Those are military units. Uh, this is a structure that's been borrowed uh, from, from the military of the day, the way armies would be organized. In an army, you can't have a general giving his orders to all of the soldiers at the same time. It just wouldn't work. So you divide the army up into units and you put someone in charge of that unit and then you divide each unit up into subunits and each unit is further divided into subunits and every unit has someone in charge. And then the general can give his orders to his his colonels who can give their orders to their majors, who can give their orders to their captains, who can give the orders to the soldiers. And that's what Jethro is saying. Take a lesson from the army, set the people up like an army, with these different units, and then put chief men in charge of each unit, men who are able, men who fear God, men who are trustworthy, and who will not be bribed. And then they can deal with the lesser cases, and Moses will only have to deal with the harder ones. This is, so Moses does this, and this is good advice. It's actually the system our own judiciary uses today. We have lower courts, and then we have higher courts and we have a supreme court the supreme court doesn't deal with every case it just deals with the hardest cases they get appealed to it we have lower courts that deal with the more straightforward ones but what does it mean for us today what are we to learn from this this passage is often used as a a piece of advice for structuring churches so the idea being that leaders can be harassed and have too much to do and therefore they get worn out and the people get worn out not being able to have the, the being served in the way they need. And so we need to put structures in place and delegate. And it's good advice. And, and we do this already in some ways through our growth group system, through some of those have ministry heads over different things. Uh, we've recognized that we need to do this more and rethink our structures and rethink our delegation. It's, it's good advice. We need to follow this. But is this really what we're meant to learn from this passage in Exodus? Why why would Jethro suddenly appear in the book of Exodus to teach us to delegate in our churches? I'm not convinced that's uh, fundamentally what we're meant to learn. Because I don't think Moses is first and foremost a, a church leader. Moses is unique as a prophet of the Lord who hears from God and speaks to the people as an intermediary between God and man. The, the end of the book of Deuteronomy tells us that Moses, that there was no one like Moses 
who spoke to God face to face. And earlier in the book of Deuteronomy, the people are commanded to look out for another prophet who's going to come after Moses, who's going to be like Moses, who God is going to raise up and listen to him. And it's clear that's a prediction of the coming of Jesus. And so I think we're meant to see Jesus in Moses more. There are sometimes applications to church leaders, but I think we're meant to see Jesus. The, the key issue here, I think, is access to God's word. God's people need to hear God's word. God's people need access to God's word. I think this is a bit obscured for us because there's lots of language about judging and laws and statutes and bringing cases. Um, and for us, the law of the land is something that's secular. It's something that, that's separate from following Jesus. The, the law gives us a great deal of freedom, actually, more than other countries, some other countries get to follow our faith. And so we treat them as two separate things, to follow the law and to follow God, that they're separate. There's some overlap, but they're largely separate. And if, um, if you were to come to church one morning... And we'd say, well, this morning we're going to look together at an act of parliament. Well, you'd probably be very impressed by that. For, for a number of reasons, it'd be very dull. But also, you'd be thinking, well, surely we're here to look at the Bible. We're here to look at what God is saying, not what parliament has to say. But for the Israelites, we have to see these were the same thing. They had no law apart from God's word to them. They had no Bible apart from the law. It was the same thing. And, and Moses' role is not to judge these cases in his own wisdom. But verse 15 tells us um, that his role, that the people come to me to inquire of God when they have a dispute. They come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses is there to teach the people what God has said. And verse 20, you shall warn them about statutes and laws and make known make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. People need to hear from God and Moses is teaching the people what God is saying to them about how they ought to live. The problem is that Moses is only one person and so he delegates to others. Delegates to others who can make judgments based on what God has already said so that he can then be be, uh, left with those cases where uh, he needs new revelations from God. And by following this advice, by setting up this structure, by setting up this structure so that people can hear God's word, Jethro says, um, you will be, at verse 23, you will be able to endure and all this people also will go to their place in peace. Why? Because God will direct you. You see, the temptation is to focus on the mechanism that Jethro is setting up here and to miss the point of why that mechanism is in place. That mechanism is in place, that delegation is in place, so that the people can hear God's word. The people need to hear God's word. And the rest of the book of Exodus is God giving them that word. Jethro here has paved the way so that they can hear that word as it comes on Mount Sinai. And we too need to hear that word of God. We're told in Hebrews, long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, like Moses in particular. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. We need to hear of Jesus. 
Jesus is God's revelation to us. The Old Testament points forward to him. New Testament tells us of him. We need to hear of Jesus. How are we going to know how we should live our lives as we make our way to the promised land? How will we endure? How will we know God's direct, <clears throat> know God's directing? We need to hear God's word. Let me ask you, are you doing that? How are you doing that? Coming to church, uh, uh, but it, it can be easy to just let the sermon wash over you. Are you. Are you coming ready to hear what God has to say? Thinking in advance what we're looking about, talking about it afterwards, not just forgetting what's been said. Are you asking for guidance in situations you find yourself in? Guidance from God's word, guidance from books that are, are, are rooted in God's word. Are you turning to your Bible regularly? We saw a couple of weeks ago, why should I read my Bible? Because it's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And that was an all-age service. I'll admit that was an all-age service. But when we say an all-age service, we mean it's for all ages. We don't mean it's just the kids need to read their Bible more. We all of us need to to find guidance, to, to hear God's words. Look forward and trust God's word for the way ahead. It can be so easy to find ourselves being lost and discouraged as we make our way to the promised land. It can feel like we're going and we're going and we're going and we're not getting any closer. We're climbing and climbing, but the top of the mountain still seems so far away. It's good for us to pause sometimes, to look back and rejoice in how far we've come, in all that God has done for us. And then to turn to God's word to guide us for the way ahead.